The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well done, everyone. It's Friday. You're nearly there. You're not there till you finish your working day. But uh, you're watching Squawkbox uh, with Arabella Gamede, myself, Steve Sedgwick. Oh, and Charlotte's on set. There must be a big French story. Let's get to your headlines. Yes, there is. LVMH posts almost 24 billion euros in fourth quarter sales, topping forecasts amid robust Chinese demand. The CEO, Bernard Arnault, saying the group must focus on quality over quantity. It's easy to develop this business. We have so many successful products. All we have to do is produce more, but we have to resist that. There's no point. They must be of flawless quality, and you mustn't be in a hurry. The S&P 500 closes at a record high for the fifth straight session. The Dow also hitting a new peak as U.S. economic growth comes in stronger than expected. $80 billion wiped off Tesla's valuation as shares sink the most in a year after CEO Elon Musk warns of a slowdown with one analyst lamenting a lack of adults in the room. And Intel shares sink in extended trade on weak guidance for the first quarter as amid weaker demand for data center chips. Friday, but there's so much going on still. We've got a review of what happened to ECB, extraordinary numbers out of US GDP, with the PCE deflator actually supporting the doves, but the GDP figure supporting the hawks as well. And a lot of fascinating corporate news. And for once as well, I, I think that it's, it's right that we have um, an analyst call in the headlines, i.e. Mm. in your Tesla headline. We'll come to that as well, because it's all very well when the support, when the, 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 the detractors of Tesla don't like it, but when some of the biggest supporters of Tesla are really frustrated, that, I think, is where the needle has moved as well. Yeah. Uh, Intel, fascinating numbers. So we've got so much to cover. Charlotte's going to do LVMH in a few moments' time, but you've got numbers out of a company whose IPO I attended on oh. the Amsterdam board a few years ago with the CEO who's going to speak to us later. Well, yeah, so we're talking about the light company, right? Signify here uh, coming out with uh, their numbers then for the fourth quarter then. Uh, really, uh, a, a company that uh, whose share price actually has been catching up to sort of the, the AMX in Amsterdam, the it's up over 1% on the year. Um, but really, a, a significant portion of this is that the net income, which did come in at 59 million euros, uh, is part of the numbers then this morning that they're reporting. Uh, significantly, though, this is a company that has been going through restructuring and cost savings uh, to try and get its business up of, of, uh, of late. They're anticipating challenges uh, in conditions that will persist throughout the year, according to the CEO. Uh, Signify also expecting to further deleverage its gross debt and reduce its U.S. pensions liability in 2024. Um, they are also speaking about sales uh, hitting 1.7 billion uh, euros there versus the estimate then 1.76 billion, 1.73. So slightly less 
than anticipated when it comes to that overall sales figure. Uh, dividends there, the proposal to increase their cash dividend. As I said, it's a PE then of around 10 with the industry at around 9 or so as well. As I said, that share price catching up to the market in Amsterdam over the one-year basis. It's up around 10% versus 7% for the AMX over a one-year basis. So that's the numbers for Signify. Of course, we will be uh, talking to the CEO as well, uh, Eric uh, Rondalol, who later this hour, don't miss that first on CNBC interview. It's at 7.30 CET. Rightio, as I say, uh, Charlotte's here to talk about LVMH, which posted a 10% rise in fourth quarter sales, boosted by strong demand for its high-end fashion around the world, but in particular in Asia. That is really interesting because Asia is, of course, I think the X factor for a lot of these companies as well. The luxury conglomerate reported fully organic revenue growth of 13%, mostly driven by its fashion division, but also offering beauty offerings. Um, very interesting, the headline bite from Arnaud talked about quality over quantity. Mm. That to me doesn't seem like a new strategy. They've always gone for quality over quantity, unlike the likes of Burberry, which has oscillated, unlike Boss, which has oscillated as well. This one, as far as I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, has always gone for quality over quantity. Yeah, and to a certain extent, they've been talking about this normalization of demand and saying, look, demand revenue up between 8 and 10%, we're pretty happy with that. And saying, look, of course, desirability is the key here, and you don't want to be overexposed. That's really been the strategy there at LVMH. But of course, all eyes on those results were on Q4 numbers because of some alarm bears that we had from, from other luxury players, including Burberry having a profit warning in Q4. But here's some probably reassuring resilience there from the luxury largest player, of course, LVMH revenue up 10% in Q4, a little bit above expectations. And one of the good signals actually, apart from Asia, that we saw was positive, uh, up 15%, was the US because LVMH had a rough Q2 and Q3 in the US, it was actually negative in Q2, uh, but there in Q4 revenue was up 8% in the US. It's only there that would be a very positive signal. Europe up 5%, but 13% on the full year. So as you're saying, organic revenue up 13% for the full year. Operating margin, same level as last year at 26.5%. So looking at the different divisions there, that's why it's interesting. It's fashion and leather, the biggest part of the business there uh, with a revenue up 14% on organic, organic I didn't realize basis. one of my favorite aftershaves is, is one of theirs. Which one is it? I can't tell you, but there might be a picture on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. There you go, beauty sector that is doing extremely well as well, where we know a lot of luxury One players of your are pushing in that as well. division. <laughs> <laughs> For breakfast in particular. Of course. <laughs> so, um, One yeah, of his favourite cognacs. Where they're really pushing. <laughs> What's interesting with LVMH is that they don't break it down by brand. So we don't know what is fashion leather, is the whole fashion oh, okay. leather. We don't know how Louis Vuitton is doing, we don't know how Celine is doing. That's frustrating, isn't it? Well, yeah, a lot of analysts are actually asking for them to actually show the details on how the different brands are doing. Because, for example, their competitor Kering is saying how each brand is doing. That's why we know that Gucci is struggling, etc., etc. But LVMH don't do that. They just split it by division. The only division that struggled a little bit last year was uh, wine and uh, spirits, uh, where it was down 4%. They said they had a high comparison level, as well as uh, some difficulties with cognac in the US that had a stocking effect last year. Uh, champagne and wine, though, was positive there. So, interesting uh, division there. But one interesting uh, part as well, as we were saying with Bernard Arnault, talking about how desirab desirability is the key there, and they don't want to push their brands too, too hard. I'm often told that growth rates, why are you only delivering 8 or 9%? Well, I find that's pretty good. And I hope that we won't uh, uh, exceed that. I'd rather slow uh, than push. And in this group, I'm 
fortunate in having uh, people that I need to slow down. I mean, Pietro, I put my, spend my time slowing him, ditto for Delphine. Michael has spent 10 uh, years trying to put the brakes on it, but it's easy to develop this business. We have so many successful products, all we have to do is produce more, but we have to resist that. It's no point. They must be of flawless quality, and you mustn't be in a hurry. And of course, the question of succession has come on the table as well, which is always the case with LVMH. But Bernard Arnault saying he's not living in the near or medium future. But he did um, name, with the results, of course, it was announced that uh, two of uh, the five children were going to be named to the executive board that would be put uh, to the AGM in April. So there's two children already on the board, Delphine and Antoine. And then Alexandre Frédéric will be named to the board and will be the fifth uh, Jean. So they all have jobs within the business. And some of these moves and changes have been happening in this year. So I'm saying the, the succession is slowly being put in place with all the children working the business in different positions there. But uh, of course, you remember the AVMH, the, the age for the CEO was meant to be 75 maximum. Uh, they moved it to 80 and now Bernardo is 74. <laughs> so this thing is not going anywhere, but things are moving in the direction. Before 24, to go back for the results, it said a very, Bernardo last night saying he's very confident for 24, low interest rates. So US election actually can give a little boost uh, to uh, yeah. the luxury uh, shopping. They said that's usually the case. Uh, China probably coming up, coming back in as well. So they're confident for 24 apart from pot potential geopolitical um, tensions there. But certainly, again, desirability was what they were, they were kept talking about yesterday. Yeah, I'm going to challenge you slightly because you, I think you started, and it's great, but, but you said um, they're worried about some of the other slowdowns we're seeing elsewhere in the sector as well. But if I remember correctly, uh, and I think I do because I've just taken a look at the chart, <laughs> so I'm kind of cheating. But July last year when they came out with their first half second quarter figures, and I think we've got it showing here actually they started a, a decline from because because of those u.s sales were disappointing uh, i think down one percent so and and it, it was the u.s that had picked up the baton from the middle east and china when their consumers hadn't been buying so much so it was that disappointment with the u.s as well so they did see this decline and i'm just wondering if this is enough to arrest it because despite the fact that they have unbelievable similarities with hermes huge family shareholdings um, you know, for circa 50%, long-term, very kind of family-oriented management as well, as you say, as well, high-end, top-end product across the board as well. They do trade at a significant discount to Hermes as well. So I'm just wondering if these numbers are enough to satiate these people who have had those concerns pretty much ever since July. Yeah, well, as you were saying, Q2, as you were saying, the US being negative was really, really big, like alarm bell for, for the luxury sector. But what we saw in Q4 is that the US revenue was up 8%. And that certainly will be seen as a very good positive there. And again, they see lower interest rate coming in this year. Uh, again, Bernard Arnault talked about the US election, say US election are usually a, a little bit of a boost for the luxury uh, sector in, in that market. So they are quite positive for 24. And they're hoping that these numbers can help them giving, giving a little boost, of course, with China recovery coming through. They say the Chinese consumer is coming back as well. Uh, they are at 70% uh, at the level that they were in 2019 for the Chinese consumer in Europe. But they say a lot of these Chinese consumers are buying back home as well. So uh, they're opening big stores in China as well. So that was interesting with LVMH, that the balance, the, ge the geographical balance that they have, they have 25% in the US, 25% in Europe, and 30% in Asia, excluding Japan. So they're very balanced. As you were saying, normally when one region is struggling, the other one helps it balance it. But now they're hoping to see a recovery coming through all their markets at around the same time. Um, very interesting. Um, that aftershave I mentioned, it, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it, no, I just did a bit of a searching. It was both Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn, both, you know, they were in Roman holiday together, one of the best movies of all time. They 
both wore it. Very nice. Yeah, I guess it wasn't aftershave nice for her, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, anyway, it was more like an eau de cologne. Um, anyway, anyway, yeah. that was it. Um, well, thank you very much <laughs> indeed for that, uh, Charlotte. Lovely to see you. Um, good, let's move on. Yeah, let's talk about what's coming up on the show then. The wheels coming off for Tesla as a disappointing earnings report wipes $80 billion off its market cap and draws fury from analysts. Plus, Apple crumbles in the face of EU pressure as it agrees to overhaul its iPhone operating system and App Store in order to meet Digital Market Act requirements. We'll talk about that. And we'll also speak to the CEO of Signify, Eric Randola, as the firm says uh, challenging conditions will continue through the year. Don't miss that conversation. It's a first on CNBC. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Let's get into this market action and see what has happened then yesterday. We saw record closes actually across the board then uh, out of the United States. A green day then uh, as well with a sixth day of gains actually for the S&P as well as the Nasdaq. The Dow Jones brushing off yesterday's decline then going up now nearly two thirds of a percent. Still above that 38,000 point mark is back where we're at then for the uh, Dow Jones Industrial uh, at this stage. Now the two counters, that's S&P 500 as well as NASDAQ, did overcome Tesla's big drag of around 12% yesterday, losing $80 billion, the worst pretty much the worst day in about a year or so for that counter. The major averages overall are up for the week, actually, uh, with the Dow Jones around half a percent to the good. The S&P is 1.1% higher. But the Nasdaq is the big gainer on the week, following on from those tech shares, 1.3% to the good for the week. Steady gains buoyed a lot by that better-than-anticipated Q4 GDP number out of the United States, 3.3% which is better than the 2%, which was initially anticipated. Plus, we got PCE data, of course, uh, coming, having come out as well out of the United States. That PCE data, 2.7%. Uh, the ex expectation there was for around 3%. On to the Treasuries quickly then. The Treasury yields yesterday falling after the U.S. GDP for, uh, for the print... The print for the fourth quarter, which came in uh, better than anticipated. So you're seeing that 10-year dip from that 4.1 uh, that we saw, 4.093 is where we are uh, right now. The two-year then, a little bit more rate sensitive, of course, as we head towards uh, that first uh, interest rate meeting out of the United States next week. Then 4.2829 is where we stand when it comes to that one. Inversion then, as you can tell, the difference just around 20 basis points. So we'll continue to note that one. As I said, PCE data, we still have personal income and spending data, plus uh, uh, um, pending home sales numbers coming out later today. Dollar crosses then. Uh, the dollar rose after the uh, GDP, uh, GDP print that we saw yesterday, suggesting no rush then in those rate cuts for this year. So far, the dollar has gained about 2% then uh, this year. The euro, on the other hand, though, fell to a new six-week low against the dollar yesterday, particularly after the ECB decided to keep rates on hold, naming that persistence is going to be the key then in trying to keep interest rates at these levels 
uh, for a, a long enough period to bring inflation down to 2%. So 108.35 is where we are there. Sterling 126 or so. Dollar yen just below that 148 mark, 147.75. Steve. Thank you, Arabile. Um, the U.S. economy accelerated in the fourth quarter of 2023, blowing past Wall Street expectations. U.S. GDP grew at a 3.3% annualized rate in the final three months of last year amid strong consumer uh, spending, uh, rising exports and government spending, well ahead of the 2% expected. Meanwhile, the initial jobless uh, figures rebounded more than expected to 214,000 for the week to January 20th. Tesla defied broader equity optimism in the market on Thursday, losing $80 billion from its market cap, uh, its worst daily percentage decline for more than a year. This after the CEO, Elon Musk, warned of a slowdown in sales growth. Kathy Wood's ARK Invest, yeah, pretty predictably, she snapped up more than $32 million worth of shares. Meanwhile, Wedbush's Dan Ives slashed his price target on the company and issued a scathing note saying he'd been dead wrong to expect Musk and the team to step up uh, like adults in the room on the earnings call. It's a much more nuanced, bigger story. We'll carve out some time to talk about the Wedbush story because net-net, Dan Ives is still a fan, but he was scathing, as I say, about yesterday's call. Intel also saw declines after the bell, seeing $20 billion wiped off its market cap after its revenue outlook came in well short of expectations. Intel's heavy investment into AI has put pressure on margins, which fell to the mid-30s mark last year. But that trend appears to be reversing, with adjusted gross margin coming in just below 46% in the first quarter. The CEO, Pat Gelsinger, says the company has around $2 billion in AI chip orders on its books and expects better sales later this year. Well, I'm delighted to say Zareed Osmani is the head of Global Long Term Unconstrained at Martin Curry and joins us now. Zareed, really nice to see you, sir. Look, you. Um, we'll go into a little bit of um, technology and some stocks that are in your portfolio and maybe some that aren't in your portfolio in a moment. But why? Well, what do you make of the broader data at the moment? I see very little which can give a green light to rate cuts early rather than later. I appreciate inflation is tame, but with the strength of the economy, the strength of the jobs market, would it be premature for the Fed to go in the spring? Well, that's our view. So we're of the view that uh, central banks, not only the Fed, aren't going to <coughs> cut rates until the second half of the year. Partly related to the fact that we're of the view that inflation is going to be stickier and longer lasting. So, yes, it's been easing in the second half of last year. Some of it is base effect related, in our view. So really, the real test is what will be the inflation prints looking like in H1 of this year. Yeah. So far, we've had a couple of prints have been slightly ahead of uh, expectations. So for us, it still remains uh, a case of focusing on inflation because that will drive uh, the timing of rate cuts. It's fascinating. I was looking at a tweet um, and it's part of a repetitive theme from a well-known Nobel Prize winning Keynesian economist who said, look, there you go. I told you it was transitory. And we're like, <laughs> and it completely ignored the bit that there were 500 basis points plus of rate hikes to get it back down to trend again. But again, I don't know, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist, so I have to take him on, uh, take him on his word. Um, in terms of your portfolio, let's move straight on to that as well. Is it interest rate sensitive or have you tried to desensitize de it as much as possible? Well, our portfolio is quality growth. So ultimately, long duration names with uh, solid uh, cash flow generation, compounding characteristics, high return on invested capital. So it has tended to behave more like bond-like characteristics and therefore sensitive to rates. 
Our view, therefore, now, if you're zooming out, and we can debate when will central banks uh, start cutting rates, is it sooner rather than that age two expectation that we've got? Um, but ultimately, if you zoom out, you're looking at a year where we're going to head towards monetary policies pivoting, central banks cutting rates, and that should be supportive for equity markets and more specifically for quality growth starts. Great. Zerid, I want to continue with the, with, with the GDP story, or rather the, the growth story, but let's, let's continue on for now with, with your portfolio. And just, you do have a few, um, let's call them pseudo-luxury names, the likes of L'Oreal, Montclair in there as well. I mean, what do you make of this space when you take a look at the likes of LVMH, who, yes, you don't own, but the, the, the possible growth from that entity, from that business, continuing to say demand is still there, they feel, even if it is in, in particular areas that they're going to try and monetize. Yeah, specifically on the luxury goods, there's been an element of concern about the Chinese economic momentum slowing down from April onwards last year, and that's continued to weaken. So the market has been concerned about the Chinese consumer, and the Chinese consumer more or less is uh, responsible for about half of luxury goods consumption globally. The fact that they haven't been traveling abroad as much as they have been in the past has also been a negative impact on the sector. So the question will be whether this weakness in the Chinese consumer is cyclical or whether there's something more structural. And that's up for debate. We can discuss that later on. In our view, this is probably more cyclical and therefore some of these uh, uh, stocks in the sector are now at levels having pulled back because of these concerns that look very attractive when you look at the multiples. So it's a case of uh, looking for when might the Chinese economic momentum start picking up again. Uh, the Chinese authorities are looking to stimulate, are taking measures. Some of that will need to continue to uh, happen because uh, the Chinese economy is indeed going to be slowing down in 2024. But if those policy measures are supportive enough that the Chinese consumer picks up again, then the sector, the luxury goods sector, looks very attractively valued. When you then look at the cosmetic space, that's been a different story. Companies like L'Oreal have actually performed very well. And again, uh, one of the closest peers, Estee Lauder, has actually had very challenging you uh, trading. portfolio when you look at L'Oreal, for example? L'Oreal has been a name that we've held for a long time, and we like that company for the long structural growth uh, uh, profile, the compounding characteristics, the high returns and the improving returns over time, and the strong pricing power as well that the company has. Um, Zareed, I'm going to take a punt here and say the stock you're asked most about in your portfolio is NVIDIA. I, I don't know. I may be wrong, but I just kind of, it's the one I'm most fascinated by. I interviewed Chuck Rod Robbins as part of a um, panel in Davos, the Cisco CEO. And, and I, I don't know if I endowed myself to him or, or, or kind of in, endeared myself, I should say. <laughs> I don't know if I endeared myself to him by, by um, saying to him, the chart of NVIDIA in the 90s looked very similar to the chart of Cisco in the 90s. And thereafter, it's been a much tougher 20 years for Cisco as well. Has NVIDIA got early stage characteristics of a company that will slow aggressively because I say that with mind the fact that you have a large uh, holding in your fund. We've got a very large holding as you've noticed absolutely it's our biggest position close to 10% of the portfolio uh, the global strategies uh, are invested is invested in Nvidia. So there's a few points to mention firstly um, AI for us is a seismic shift uh, in dynamics both at the uh, level of uh, corporates, households and governments. There's uh, an important strategic uh, mm -hmm. angle at stake as well. Uh, and then the aspects to assess is what is the market potential. It's something that everybody is debating. We're 
having different uh, scenarios and forecasts around market potential. Uh, companies like NVIDIA have a, a addressable market estimate, which uh, back in March 21 was uh, estimated at $300 billion. And then in March 22, they increased that estimate of uh, addressable market to $1 trillion. So uh, there's a rapid shifting uh, move up in terms of uh, potential expectations. Are so, there cheaper alternatives to NVIDIA out there? Because NVIDIA will not have, a bit like Tesla in some ways, they will not have the field to themselves for long. That's true. There's going to be increased competition, notably for AMD. But when we're looking at uh, NVIDIA's uh, competitive advantage, its uh, scale uh, superiority means that their R&D uh, superiority is very significant. They've uh, built a competitive advantage over many years, decade plus, yeah. in fact. Uh, and now they're spending in absolute terms on R&D two to three times more than some of their closest competitors wow. in the GPU space. So we believe that their competitive advantages are going to stay strong. Their innovation rate is accelerating as competition is increasing. So yes, there will be more competition, but we believe Nvidia will remain well placed. Great. Yeah. Just to close out, I want to go back to some GDP news as well. I mean, having seen yesterday's GDP print out of the, out of the US, mm -hmm. but you still note that you've increased your probability of a recession to 35 to 40%. Previously, that was 30 to 35%. Yesterday's number not changed that at all? I mean, that Q4 print of 3.3 is quite out of step of that 2% expected. It was very strong indeed, and uh, surprisingly strong for, uh, for an economy that uh, the economists at uh, the back end of uh, 22 were expecting a certainty of a recession. So we were of the view that there wouldn't be a recession last year. We wrote a report uh, called uh, recession is like waiting for Godot. It might never turn <laughs> up. Um, so really our central scenario for 24 is that there will be a slowdown in the US uh, economy. Uh, we're looking at a GDP growth of 0.5 to 1%. Uh, consensus is at about 1.3% at the moment. Uh, so our central scenario is slowdown rather than recession, but we've increased the risk of recession because rates hikes will be continuing to bite. Uh, the consumer savings have been depleted and continue to be depleted, and that's an important driver of the economy. And then the second largest economy globally, China, yeah. is likely to slow down in 24. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.